This morning I've entitled the message, Love Your Brother. And as you know, the last couple Sundays we've been talking about love. Everybody likes talking about love. Cheesecake. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so two weeks ago we talked about God's love for us. And how many of you guys, uh, isn't God's love for us amazing? I, every time I think about it, I'm just absolutely blown away because I just don't understand it. I still can't grasp it, how big his love is. And then the next, last week we talked about uh, loving the lost because as you know that we should have the same heart that Jesus had for the lost. We should, when we look into the world and we see people that are, are going through some tough sins, you know, they're going through uh, you know, prostitution and homosexuality and even those that are doing crazy stuff in the Middle East, we shouldn't look at them with disgust or disdain, but rather with broken hearts because they need Jesus. We should have the same heart that he has. And then today, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about how we should be loving one another. And uh, just in case anybody wants to argue or yell, love your brother also means sisters and everybody here. It's just a, it's, it's a nice title. It would sound weird if I put love your brother and then friends, sisters, everybody in parentheses. It just wouldn't fit. It wouldn't make any sense. So we're going with love your brother. So... I want to talk about how we need to behave about how we need to, to behave in the body of Christ, basically. And if you read the scriptures, it is talked about over and over and over. And how many know that when something is mentioned in the Bible over and over and over, it's pretty important to God. And the thing that we ha- that happens to us is we, we tend to forget how to act when we're close to people. Have you ever noticed that you will act in ways with your closest friends or your family that you would never act around somebody else? You will say things that you would never say to anybody else. You would do things to them that you would never do to anybody else. I mean, I look at my kids, my, my daughters, and, my, and sometimes they treat each other in ways that, that I, I can't even tell you about. You'd kick me out of the church. It'd be crazy. But And you're like, man, they would never treat their friends like that. They would, but for some reason, we're close to people. We just tend to, to, to let all propriety go away, and, and sometimes we can just get downright nasty with one another. And the truth is, is I, I think what it is is that we know they're going to love us anyway. So we take that for granted, and sometimes we treat them in ways that we shouldn't. It's very easy to do that, and uh, we definitely, in the body of Christ and our biological families, any of those, we need to, to be aware of that and make sure that we're not doing things like that. Also, did you ever notice that we tend to hold other people, particularly Christians, to a higher standard than even we hold ourselves? That's the bad part. You know, it's, so, it's true that as, as Christians, we need to, to make sure that we're lifting each other. We're going to talk about that a bit when people are falling, when they're slipping, how to handle that, how to, to build people back up in love. And, and, and as a body, we're not going to just turn a blind eye. If people are rampantly sinning, that needs to be dealt with. Amen? But, on the other hand, somehow we tend to look at people and be like, I can't believe that you did that. When you know you just did it a week ago. We tend to hold them to a different standard. We tend to judge others at their worst of times and judge ourselves at our best of times. When really we should be judging everybody else according to Christ, including ourselves, amen? There's a book by Dwight L. Carson, Carlson, 
And it says, why do Christians shoot their wounded? That's what he named the title of the book. And isn't that profound? We tend to do that. I've seen situations in churches where, where the pastors have just been distressed because on one hand they have half their church upset at something that's going on, and on the other hand he has a heart to restore an individual instead of just throwing him out on the street. And he, they, you know, they get put in such a hard place. When the truth is, as long as the person is repentant, as long as they're, 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 they're turning back to God and they're wanting to do the right things, then we need to restore them. And as we'll see later, basically Jesus says, you keep on doing it even if they keep slipping up. But we tend to be so quick to just get rid of them. We tend to think about ourselves just a little too much instead of thinking about other people. There's a TV show that I watch right now. You guys know who The Flash is, right? The comic book character, I mean, he's been around forever. The Flash, there's a new show on right now. They're kind of rebooting the whole Flash series. And something that I found was profound in this show, even though I don't think they intended it, is that the Flash, the character of the Flash, his whole purpose is to help others. He's always thinking about others. Even at the expense of himself, he's constantly thinking about others. And throughout the whole show, that's his mindset. And, and as you know, he saves the day every time because he's putting others first. And the last couple of episodes, something changed. And here's what happened. He has the opportunity, because he's the Flash and he can run like a billion miles an hour, to run fast enough to go back in time and save his mother from death. His mom was killed in front of him uh, when he was a boy. And he has the opportunity to go back in time. And they've already explained to him, you know, the perils of time travel. You do this. You know, the butterfly effect. Everybody heard about that. You change one thing, everything changes. And what I found interesting is, is the characters that were talking to him, as he's trying to decide what to do, they kept saying, you know what? You're always thinking about other people. Think about yourself this time. And I'm like, man, that's bad advice. That is, when we think about ourselves, we do dumb stuff. And wouldn't you know, he takes their advice and he tries to go back in time. And fortunately, he doesn't actually um, save his mom. He, he lets that stay put. But he does change other things. Stuff gets messed up and a, a big giant wormhole appears in the sky and it creates a wormhole between worlds and all kinds of bad stuff comes through. And, you know, it just goes to show that if you think about yourself, you could destroy your city. So we don't, we don't want to do those things. We want to think about others. But I'm like, man, that's profound. They don't even know what they're talking about. And they're, they're pointing out a fundamental truth is that when we think about others, amazing things happen, even to ourselves. We're even happier. But when we think about ourselves only, it just brings chaos and destruction around us. Amen? All right, I just got a new tablet here, and it keeps shutting off on me, so this ought to be fun. All right. So the first scripture I want to look at today is Romans 12, 15. It says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. You know, I look around today, and I see, particularly at my job, and we see people having things happen to them, and instead of rejoicing with, you know, when somebody gets a raise, instead of rejoicing with that person, some people are like, why'd they get a raise? How come I didn't get a raise? And they become envious, and they become upset. And they're, they're, once again, it's that, you know, what about me mentality. It's all about me. And they look at these other people, and instead of rejoicing with them, they're like, man, this just is unfair. Or, or when somebody's hurting, when something happens poorly to something, the first thought is, who better you than me? 
And that is such a terrible attitude to have. And, you know, even sometimes if it doesn't physically harm somebody else, it's actually doing damage to yourself. You're actually hardening your heart. You're changing the character of who you are. When the reality is, is that the scripture says that we should rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That means at your work and somebody's having, you know, getting a raise, you should rejoice with them. If we're in the body here and somebody's getting a raise or they got a new job or they're having a baby or they got a new house or any number, they get healed from God, we rejoice with them. Yeah, that even means that if you haven't got your job yet, if you haven't got your raise yet, if you haven't got your healing yet, if you haven't got your blessing yet, it doesn't mean you go, man, God must love them more than me, or, or why are they getting that and then I'm not getting that? I mean, God, don't you know how they live? How come I'm not getting any of this stuff? That's a natural response inside of us. But the truth is we should rejoice with them. And when people are hurting, when they're suffering, we should take them along, come alongside them and put our arm around them and hurt with them. The, the, the shortest verse in the Bible, it says he wept. Jesus wept. And like we talked about last week, he didn't just show up and, and out of the blue go, hey, wait a minute, I got an idea. Let's bring Lazarus back from the dead. He knew Lazarus was going to die. Matter of fact, he took his sweet time to make sure he was good and dead so that nobody was confused, so they would understand that it was the power of God that brought him back to life. And he showed up and it says he wept because he saw the people that were hurting around him. And he wept with them. And that's the heart that we should have for one another. Amen? Amen? In 1 Corinthians 12, 25-26, it says that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is the same idea here. We are one. We are the body of Christ. The scripture says that we are fit together like living stones. And the picture is that when they, when they were building the walls of like Jericho or the walls of the temple, any of those things when they built, particularly the walls of the temple, did you know that they didn't um, bring the stones up to the temple and measure them out there? And if they tried to slide it in, if it didn't fit, they shaved a little off and they put it in. They actually built those stones down by the rock quarry. And they were so meticulously measured They were so meticulously cared after that when they brought them back, they fit perfectly together. So well so that you couldn't even slide a piece of paper in between them in the cracks. That's how well they fit together. And that's how we're supposed to be as bodies, as Christians in the body of Christ. We're fit together as living stones like that. That we're so closely and intertwined together that we might as well be one unit. We are one. And it says, so that there may be no division in the body, that when one rejoices, we all rejoice. And when one suffers, we all suffer. One of that is that attitude of heart. When we see people, when we see people uh, hurting and we, we hurt with them or we see people doing well, we rejoice with them. It's that attitude of heart. It's, it's godly thinking. But also because we are one, the stuff should affect us the same. You know, individual entities, when something happens to one and not the other, then it doesn't matter. But if we are actually one, then we, if we're connected together, then we should feel what other people are feeling. Because we're one unit. Do you, do you get what We're one unit. It's just like when you deal with, we're talking about building these walls and we're like, oh, is, is the soundproofing going to be enough? 
And one of the ways that you stop sound from traveling through a wall is you set up two walls that almost touch each other that are offset a little bit, but they don't touch each other. And there's air between them. And sound can't travel through that because air doesn't conduct sound all that well. But if the two studs were touching each other, the sound would travel straight through that wall because they would be acting as one. And the same is true with the body of Christ. When we are fit together, when we are touching, when we are one, then we operate as one and we should feel together as one. And a success for one is a success for the whole body. When somebody gets a raise, you should be like, sweet, I got a raise too. When somebody, when somebody brings a new life, they have a new baby, that affects the whole body. I mean, if you don't believe me, just look, Monique's about to have a baby, and my whole family of women think they're getting a new baby. <laughs> happens to one, it happens to all of them. And I'm like, that's fine as long as we can give her back. <laughs> you know, there's no division in the body. We're all one. And we don't separate ourselves when somebody's doing bad, when somebody's failing, when somebody's going through some hardships. We don't, you know, if you, if you stubbed your toe or you got a hangnail, the first thought is not to cut your finger off, right? Or to cut your toe off. When, when we go through those things, just because something is in pain or hurting, then we stand together and we work together to resolve it. And by separating ourselves, when we actually divide ourselves over these silly things or offense, you know, that's one of the greatest dividing things that puts that wedge is, is when we offend one another. Guess what? You're going to offend people. People are going to offend me. I'm going to offend you. Just to be there, I'm probably going to offend you someday. Just to be clear, one, I don't always think before I speak, and two, that's just part of life. The question is, how do we deal with that? How do we get past it? You know, if somebody offends me, do I just kick them out of the church? You know, they get a hangnail, do I cut off my finger? Or do we restore one another? Do we work through it? Do we talk it out and we deal with it? You know, that's the, the key. That's the, the indicator of a relationship is, is not if you fight. It's how you get through that. You know, if somebody has a good marriage, that doesn't mean that they don't fight. It means they can deal with the fights. They can work through them. They can get through it because they're one unit and they work together. But when we separate ourselves and we divide ourselves, we actually weaken the body. We weaken the church. Because when people are here, God has put them here for a reason. They have gifts. They have talents. They have abilities that were intended to be used in this body. And when we remove them, we leave a void. We leave a hole. Amen? In John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And then John 15, 12 through 13 says, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone laid down his life for his friends. You know, like I told you last week or a couple weeks ago, love is such an overused term in this society. It's been devalued. Uh, it's jaded. We don't even really know what it means anymore. It's just something that we say. But the type of love that's being discussed here is that, that agape love. That's the Greek word, is agape. And it's this, this self-sacrificing love. It's a godly love. It's more than just, you know, being close to somebody, but it's loving them like God would love them. 
C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Four Loves, he used agape to describe what he believed was the highest level of love known to humanity, a selfless love, a love that was passionately committed to the well-being of the other. That's the kind of love that we should have for one another. Not the kind of love that says, yeah, you can come over and hang out with me on, on Super Bowl Sunday and we'll get along that day. But the kind of love that says, I would die for you. The kind of love that says, I'll be there to help you move. That kind of love. And it's a commandment. Do you know loving one another is not an option? It's not a, it's not a good idea. Jesus didn't say, you know, it would be probably a pretty good thing if you guys love one another. He says, no, I command you to love one another. Which tells me a couple things. One, it means we have a choice. But Pastor Wayne, I'm just not a loving person. Get over it. If you have Jesus inside you, then you have, and you've been made in the image of God, then you are a loving person. You just don't want to let that out. He says, we're to love. He's commanded that we're to love. And not, like I said, not in some weak way, but just... As I have loved you, you are also to love one another. I want you to know that Jesus gave his life willingly for you. And the next scripture we look at here in John 15, it says that greater love has no one than this that someone laid down his life for his friends. That's the kind of love that we should have for one another. That we should be willing to put aside anything, to sacrifice anything for our brethren. If somebody needs something, and we call out for help, there should be no doubt that someone would be coming. Because our, our hearts should be so intertwined and, and yearning for one another that we would do anything, just like you would do anything for your kids. We should do that for others as well. Uh, Dr. Leon Van Ruyen he's, uh, uh, was telling a story once about... Um, his son, something happened. He was, he was a missionary in Africa, and I forget what happened, but I believe it was, it was his son that got hurt. And he, he knelt down next to his son, and, and, and it was a serious thing. I think it was, it was on the verge of death. And he was praying for his son, and he, 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 he was praying just as fervently as he could. In a long story short, his son was healed. His son's okay, but... He said, at that moment, I recognized something. He said, I made a choice that I would never pray for anybody less passionately, less firmly than I just prayed for my own son right now. And that's the the, the same idea that we should have, the same love that we should have for one another. They should be able to see it on us. The scripture says that, All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. People should see Christianity on you in the way that you interact with other people, but particularly the brethren. You know, it's funny that there's a lot of people that don't want to get involved in the church because they just think we're a bunch of hypocrites because the problem is is that we can't see this love on a lot of people. Instead, we're, we're, we're causing division. We're pushing people out instead of loving each other at the expense of everything. But people should be able to see this about us. Something that they should notice. And I know some of you I've told this to you before, but when I was in the military, they told us that when you go on leave, you have to be careful because when they look at you, especially if you're overseas somewhere, they will know that you're in the military by the way you cut your hair, by the way you walk, by the way you handle yourselves. It doesn't matter if you're in uniform. They can tell you're in the military. And in some places, that can be a dangerous thing. And the same should be true by us, by the way we walk, by the way we talk. We shouldn't have to have a Bible in our hand for people to tell that we're Christians, amen? 
It's like the old saying goes, it said if, if it were all of a sudden today to become illegal to be a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? That's a good question to ask. They should be able to see it all over us. He says that you love one another as I have loved you. You know, that's an incredibly tough commandment, but it is so important in the body of Christ that we look at each other that way. Good news, Siri learned a new trick. She didn't learn how to keep awake, though, so I can keep reading this. You know, I want you to know that this love is the very nature of God. In 1 John 4, 8, it says, The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And the same is true. The one who knows God loves. Because you've been made brand new. If you've accepted Jesus Christ, you've been restored to just like Adam was. who was formed by God and God's life breathed into him. And that is you. And everything that you do should expose Christ inside of you. Amen? Amen. So the things that I want to look at is the, the three primary reasons why we love one another. And the first reason is we love him, we love other people because of who he is, because of who Jesus is. In Colossians 3, 12 through 16, it says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord is forgiving you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The first thing that we notice is that we see this idea of putting this stuff on. And the picture is that of garments, of clothing, you know, dress for success. And the same thing is as put on then as God's chosen ones. So put on holiness, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear one, one another. And then finally he says, and above all these, put on love. You know, we have to make an effort to put these things on. It's really easy to, not, to get up in the morning and just leave this stuff in the closet. But just like in real life, if you don't get up and make the effort to put on clothes, you're walking out the house naked. Church is going to be a whole different place if we didn't put the effort into putting on clothes. And the same is true with this stuff. We need to put this stuff on. This is who we are in Christ, but we still have to make a conscious effort to let Christ live through us. Here it says... As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. That's part of loving one another is, is, is forgiving each other in times of hardship. And why do we do it? Because that person's deserving of it in and of themselves? No, because he forgave you. I was just telling the story again to Pastor Brent. He's a pastor that when I was... Uh, a uh, little kid, I was in high school, I went to his church, and uh, his son was my best friend, and I haven't seen him in years, and finally, because we were close on vacation, we went down and visited with him for a few hours, and and uh, I was telling him the story of sitting with Pastor Mike one day, and just complaining about Blake, I don't remember what it was, he was doing something, uh, maybe just asking so many questions, or being irritating, or I don't know, not li- no, it was probably not listening, and I was just I was just moaning and groaning. You know when you whine to people hoping for that little bit of pat on the back? 
Don't do it to pastors because they'll do stuff like, well, think about how Jesus feels when you act like that to him. And that's, that's kind of what this, this is here. When we look at people, we don't, you're like, but God, why should I forgive them? Look at what they're doing. Look how bad they're, they're hurting me. Well, why don't you take a look at what we did to Christ, how we were living. We were enemies of God before we were saved, yet he still forgave us. That's the same attitude we should have towards others. And it says we should, oh, where is it at? It's up here somewhere. Admonish one another. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Something I just saw right now. We're going to talk about admonishing. One, admonishing is to caution, advise, or counsel against something. To reprove or scold, especially in a mild or good-willed manner. And to urge to a duty or to remind. And it tells us that we need to teach and admonish one another. We need to encourage that admonishing should be done in a good-willed manner. It's something that we, we encourage one another. We don't, we don't throw people under the bus. We don't kick them while they're down, but instead we remind them that, hey, you don't have to be where you're at right now. You've been forgiven of this. You've been freed from this. You are victorious. And we remind them of who they are. But something I just noticed right now as we were reading is right before it it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then teaching and admonishing one another. Did you know that you can't do this effectively if you're not spending time in the Word? If you don't know who Christ is, if you don't know who you are in Christ, if you don't know what God's will is because you're not letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, then you're not qualified to do this stuff. And if we did these things, we would always do it in a right manner. Instead of condemning people, we would help build them back up. And then it says, forgive as he forgave. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. All of these things are the result of Christ in you. And how we treat them is a result of Christ in them. All of these things, when we love one another, it's never because of the other person. Man, if... If you just take an honest step back and think about your closet, if everybody knew everything about you, most people wouldn't love you either. But thank God it has nothing to do with you, but instead it has to do with what Christ accomplished and what Christ thinks about you. Amen? Amen. The next reason that we, we need to love them, first we looked at because of who Jesus is, now we need to look at because of who we are. In Colossians 3, 8-10 it says, But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, in obscene talk from your mouth, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of his creator. Same idea here. You put off the old self, the old dirty garments, the, the dirty clothes, that nasty stuff of who you are. You put that old self off and you put on the new self. It's like putting on a fresh pair of underwear, nice and clean. New clothes, a nice suit, looking good, playing. I mean, you're, you're putting on something new. You don't look like who you used to be. It's like the best extreme makeover you've ever seen. When you put these new things on. And that's why we should love one another in this way as well. Because you're not who you used to be. You are brand new. You have been made 
And your mind is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. How you think, how you act, what you say, what you do should be a reflection of Christ inside of you. Because of who you are, we love others. Because of Christ in us. That means we forgive others. That means that we come alongside others. That means that we don't kick people while they're down. That's why we don't shoot people while they're wounded. And we do that by putting away some of this nonsense up here. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth, all that nasty stuff. We put it away. We push it aside. And begin to let Christ live through us. If we will put off the old self with his practices and put on, put on Christ, if we make the conscience effort to do that, you'll see your life being lived out differently. And I want you to know that you can't even know who your new self is unless you're spending time in the Word and see what the Word has to say, who you are. And when you find that you're forgiven, you're free, that you are holy, that you are righteous, that you've been made brand new, that you are loving. Because the truth is, this kind of stuff, malice, slander, obscene talk, anger, wrath, particularly lying, that destroys family. That destroys churches. That destroys relationships. And the truth is, we all know what's the Scripture say, who's the father of lies? The devil, Satan's the father of lies. Which father are you of? What are the things that we're going to do? The reality is, and I'm convinced about everybody in this room, that's not who you are. Even if you're acting in that way, put that stuff off. Don't just be done with it and put on the new self. Amen? And finally, because of who they are, we're going to love them. In Titus 3, 1-7, through 7, it says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, is to being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's the gospel in a nutshell right there. This is who you were, this is who they were, and this is who they now are. They, you know, they, they were once just like us doing those very same things. But he says, you know what, they were once like that. They were, we were ourselves once foolish, disobedient, and led astray. That's who they were, but that's not who they are anymore. Because it says, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of their works, not because of what they did. Nobody in this room is saved. Nobody in this room is righteous. Nobody in this room is holy because of the things that they did. If it was left up to the things that, that we could do, we wouldn't need Jesus. But the truth is, none of us can accomplish that. But Christ in us has, done, has, has made us amazing. It's made us brand new. And when we look at people, that's who we should see. That's what we should see. Christ said, I resolve to know nothing but Christ among you, no matter what the things that they did. And when we look at other people, we have to remember that we ourselves are not models of spiritual purity that we are now, always. That there were times when we were just as bad as anybody. 
And remember that a person's value has nothing to do with their deeds. You know, you'd be offended so much less if you just recognize that the things that people do don't uh, add up to who they are, to their value. Their value is that Christ died for them. Every person on this earth, Christ went to the cross for. He thought that they were good enough. The worst people that you can imagine, Saddam Hussein, Hitler, all these people that we think about that are so terrible, Christ died for them too. Something is worth what someone is willing to pay for it. That's how the housing market works, right? It's what people are willing to pay for a house is what you can sell it for. A piece of art will sell for what someone is willing to pay for it. There's a, a photographer that just sold one of his photos, and I don't, I don't remember the amount, it's some obscene amount in the millions of dollars for this photo that he took. And the truth is, is there's a lot of people that don't think it's a very good photo. They don't think it's worth it. There's a lot of photographers who, instead of rejoicing with this guy, are, are upset and, and showing that jealousy and, and stuff. But they're, they're saying, you know, there's no way this photo is worth that much. And I, it baffles the mind to me because I'm like, did somebody pay him that much for it? Then that's what they considered it worth. <laughs> worth is what somebody is willing to pay for something. And Christ gave his life. For you. You are valuable. And so is everybody that you see in this room. When you look at one of your brothers and sisters in Christ, they are that valuable. And if you looked at something that was that valuable, you would treat it a little bit different. It's like, it's a silly example. I mean, you have, you have a good, anybody got a work pair of shoes and a good pair of shoes? You notice how different you treat those because of their perceived value? And the same thing is, when we, if we would see people as how valuable they really are, I think that it would change how we dealt with them and interact with them. Amen? Oh, goodness. Galatians 6, 1 through 2 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the of Christ. Did you know that we're called to restore our brothers when they fail, when they fall, when they stumble? When they do something that just ticks you off? When they do something that, that, that really was inappropriate and they shouldn't have done that to you? We're called to restore them. Now, I'm not talking about people who are just belligerently sinning and doing that kind of stuff. I'm talking about the people that have messed up. If they're, if they're not repented, repentative, repentive, repentant, one of those words. If they're not that, then that's something that has to be dealt with. But if they're repentant, if they did something and they recognize it, then we're supposed to restore them. And any transgression, not just the, the ones we consider minor, the ones we consider no big deal, so we're to restore them. And we're supposed to do it in a spirit of gentleness. You know, if we just tell people how foolish they are, how stupid they are, how bad they are, how much they messed up, that's not a spirit of gentleness. That's not helping restore them. It's pushing them away. Then it goes on to say, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. It's one of those things that basically, if you're trying to help restore somebody that's struggling in an area that you struggle with as well, maybe it shouldn't be you. If you're trying to, to, to save somebody because they, they messed up and they went to the strip club and you know you have problems with that, you shouldn't be the one pulling them out. It says keep watch over yourself lest you too be tempted. 
And then it says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That is our burden to lift one another up. And in doing so, we fulfill the law of Christ, the law of love, and how we interact with one another. Luke 17, 3-4 says, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. It doesn't say you should forgive him, or it's a good idea. It says you must forgive him. And in Matthew 8, 21-22, it says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times, this is Peter being clever because the law says you have to forgive him three times. Peter's trying to show his spirituality. Like, look, Lord, I'm going to do it seven times. And, and Jesus is like, you still don't got it. He says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Some translations say seven times, 70 times. Basically, you keep on doing it. You keep forgiving as long as they repent. As long as they're... As a matter of fact, even if they don't repent, we still forgive them. And we just, as many times as it happens, we keep doing it. We forgive no matter what. And you want to know the reason why that we forgive? Did you know it's not for the other person? Forgiving them doesn't really do much for them. Matter of fact, there's people that haven't forgiven us for stuff that we don't even know we did. And you know how often we think about it? Never, because we don't even know we did it. They're the ones thinking about it. They're the ones that's letting that unforgiveness just destroy who they are on the inside. And particularly, depending on how unforgiving you are, it really messes you up. And it doesn't matter how many times they do it. As long as they keep coming to you repentant and say, forgive me, then you forgive them. And truthfully, even if they don't come repentant, forgive them anyway. Don't keep yourself in a position to keep getting hurt. Don't put yourself in a position. I mean, we need to be wise. You guys are hearing what I'm saying, right? We, know, we can see the difference between the forgiveness and restoring people, but also being wise. You know, if you're a, 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 a spouse that's being abused by your, by your spouse, you can forgive them, but not stay in the house to keep getting hurt, right? Amen. Matthew 5, 23-24 says, So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift therefore before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Now this is the other side of the coin. This doesn't say if you're at the gift of the altar, and you remember that you have something against someone, go and see them. It says if you remember that your brother has something against you, go and deal with it. Scripture also says, as long as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. You know, when you're, when you're coming into worship and you remember that, there's, you know, that, that someone has someone against you, whether it's legitimate or not, it doesn't say if there's a legitimate reason they're upset with you. It says if they have something against you, you need to go and try to work that out. Be at peace with your brothers. Show love with them. Show love to them. So go and be reconciled. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12-15, it says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and, who, and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all, and to see that no one repays evil, anyone evil for evil, but always seeks to do good to one another and to everyone. 
We need to appreciate one another and not just get along. Did you know that, that, that loving one another is more than, than just getting along? We need to actually appreciate each other in Christ. And I realize there's just going to be some people that you don't like. And I want you to know that you can actually love somebody and not like them. There's been times when my wife, I never stopped loving my wife, but there's been some times that I didn't like her at the moment. Was it, uh, I think it was, maybe it was Billy Graham's wife said, uh, as he said, something, said, we've never considered divorce. Murder, yes, but never divorce. But yeah, we need to be at peace with one another. We need to, to appreciate one another, not just get along. To esteem each other highly. And it says, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idol. Encourage the faint or help the weak, be patient with them all. You notice that none of this is in a condemning way. None of this is to, hey, you lazy bum, get off your butt and get to work. But it's to encourage them. To be patient with them. And then something, just on a side note, as we're talking about admonishing, because I can just see it now. Pastor Wayne said I could admonish you. Pastor Wayne said I could do this. If you don't have a relationship, you have to have permission to speak into someone's life, right? You guys recognize that, right? If, if you don't have permission to speak into someone's life, if they haven't come to you and, and you're not a, some sort of, of leader in their life, then you're not going to accomplish anything. You're just going to tick them off. They're going to be like, who are you? But if they're your brother, if they're your friend, if you're, that's another reason to walk alongside one another. When we're walking alongside one another, we have that permission to speak in each other's life. But you, we can't walk into the church next door and tell them how they're not doing things. I mean, that's not going to work out well for anybody. Amen? All right. First Thessalonians 5.11, it says, Encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And Galatians 6, 9 through 10 says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. 1 Thessalonians 5, if you read that, it's discussing Christ's return. This is the, the scripture where it says that he's coming back like a thief in the night. Basically, we don't know when he's coming back. It's funny, when people try to tell me when Jesus is coming back, the only thing I know for certain is he's not coming back at that point. Because it says he'll come back like a thief in the night. No one knows the the day or the hour. But because of this, because he is coming back, and we don't know the day or the hour, he says, let's encourage one another and build one another up. Instead of tearing, I mean, we don't, Jesus could come back tomorrow. How would we find us? So in light of that, since we don't know, let's keep building each other up. Let's lift one another up. And then he says, let us not grow weary of doing good. I tell you what, doing good is hard work sometimes. Relationships are hard work. They wouldn't tell us not to grow weary if it wasn't possible to grow weary. Sometimes the last thing you want to do is, is, is be helpful to somebody, to, to lift them up. I mean, when, when you're at home and it's, it's 11 o'clock and you're having trouble sleeping, you don't feel well, and somebody calls you up and says, I'm struggling right now, can you pray with me? Sometimes that's just not your idea of a good time. But he says, don't grow weary of doing good, because in due season you will reap. And he says, so as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are the household of the faith. In 1 Peter 4, 8-9, it says, And above all, keep loving one another earnestly, 
That means for reals. We don't have to fake it. We need to love one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins and show hospitality to one another without grumbling. There's a couple of interesting things here. One, we see that Paul is preaching this, or Peter is preaching the same message that Paul's been preaching, right? It's, it's a unified gospel. And then he says, keep loving each other earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. And that's always confused me because I'm like, how can love cover sins? I thought sins were covered by Jesus' death, by, by Christ on the cross. Sins were dealt with. So how is my love going to additionally cover someone's sins? And then I realized that I was reading this wrong. It's not talking about forgiveness. It's not talking about salvation. What it's talking about is when somebody sins against you and does something stupid, we have two ways to take it. We can let it hurt us. We can let it you know, give us that punch in the gut. Or we can deal with it in love and realize that because we love them, it'll cover the consequence of what just happened. When we love one another, it's going to dampen those blows. It's going to dampen the offense. Because the truth is, it doesn't matter how good we are, what's going on, we are going to offend one another. We are going to hurt one another, even if you don't intend to do it. But when you realize that people are operating in love and you're operating in love, it covers those things. It lets you get through to the other side. I tell you what, there's been times my pastor of I have had some good old-fashioned yelling matches over stuff because of stuff that's gone on. But you know what? We came through the other side. We loved you. We forgave each other. We loved you. And we came through the other side. There was an option. We could have turned our separate ways. But instead, we, we pushed through it. And that's why, because of love for one another. It'll cover a multitude of stupidity that we do to one another. Amen? Amen. 1 John 4, 7-8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. It's one of those, is it, uh, was it Mark Twain, Joseph, that said, uh, it's not the things in the Bible that I don't understand that scare me, it's the stuff that I do understand? This is a tough one right here. This is pretty harsh if you think about it. Basically, it says that if you love, because love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. That means, in a nutshell, that if you refuse to love people, You need to evaluate your position in Christ. Because a transformed life, a brand new life in Christ, it loves. Because God is love. If Christ is living through you, if he's living inside of you, then how could anything else come out but love? Because that's who he is. Amen? How can we imitate Christ? That's what Paul said, right? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. How can we imitate Christ without showing love? And the truth is that to the body and to the world, to our family, that's to everybody. And I'll tell you what, sometimes that's a hard thing to do. I realize that. I get that. Some of these things, I've come to realize the more I preach that some of these things are a whole lot easier preached than lived. But the truth is, we can live this way. 
because Christ lives inside of us. It's like, it's like an outpouring in love in us. It's like electricity that flows through wires because we're connected to the source. And because of that, God's love must flow through us. And finally, the last verse we're going to look at, 2 Corinthians 5.16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard, we regard him thus no longer. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, but rather as Christ inside of him. When we see one another, we shouldn't see past failures, mistakes, fallings, but we should see Jesus. Because his love, his sacrifice, took care of all that dumb stuff that happened. And because of that, we should see people differently. So the question and the challenge I would put forth to you this morning is, how do you see people when you look at them? Do you just see their actions? Do you look at them and go, oh, that one's a good kid. They're, they're always doing the right thing. They're doing good in school. They're always nice to people. Or, oh, that one right there, you know, he, he's into drugs or he drinks or he does these things. Do you see that? Or do you see Christ inside of them? The Holy One of God gave his life for them that they would be made brand new. Because I want you to know, some people, they get saved and it's like a light switch. And the everything's different. Or there's people like me who spent 20 years on the starting line. I got saved and spent 20 years on the starting line with just enough faith to be saved sometimes and most of the time probably not even that. And my life didn't clean up instantly. It was a slow process as, as I began to pick out one garment at a time and put it out and put it on. Some people are like that. Some people... It's in an instant. Some people, it takes time for, for the reality of Christ inside of them to begin to show on the outside. But you know what? As long as there's growth, as long as they're moving, then we should only see Christ inside of them in spite of the things that they may be doing. And instead of kicking them while they're down, we encourage them and build them up. And that's how we can express love to one another. Amen? I believe that if we would just get ourselves out of the way, and follow Jesus' commandment to love one another, this will just naturally happen in our lives. Amen? Let's go and stand to our feet.